Well, good morning, friends. Good morning from me. Um, I've been really enjoying this series that we've been going through in Luke's Gospel. I just found these talks have been really challenging. Uh, I've been drawing my heart to worship in a way that, you know, it's a nice Christian thing to say, but honestly, these passages, I've just been thinking, wow, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is great. So I hope you've been enjoying it too. Um, If you are new to us or if you're visiting, um, we've got a whole load of them on the website. You can go back and listen to as many as you like. And actually, there's some really good ones on there, um, so I recommend you do that. Great. Um, Oh, and before I do move on, uh, Tessa spoke for the first time last week. Didn't she do well? Didn't she do well? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I wasn't expecting a bonus embarrassment this morning, were you, friend? But no, you deserve it. Um, Great. Okay, I have a lot this morning. Um, So if you have a Bible in front of you, either a paper one or a digital one, um, can I encourage you to join me in Luke chapter 9, verse 37 onwards? Now, the verses will appear on the screen, but I'm also going to dive around all sorts of different Bible verses and things this morning. Um, So if you have the main passage in front of you, I think that will serve you well. Luke chapter 9, verse 37 onwards. And whilst whilst you're finding that, This last few talks, this section of Luke's gospel, we've been asking the question over and over, who is Jesus? And there on the Transfiguration mountaintop, heaven's stage curtains were torn back to reveal just who Jesus is. The glorious Son of God, with the Father speaking, this is my Son. He's the promised Savior, The one that even the great Moses and Elijah have been trailers for, like movie adverts. This luminous moment on the mountaintop was the high point of Luke's gospel so far. Not just from our point of view, but as you're reading Luke, this is what he's been building towards. This is who Jesus is. But if we now expect Jesus to change... Like that bit in the movie where someone who's been struggling to succeed suddenly hits their stride and they start changing wearing sunglasses and smart suits and being above everything that they used to do before. If we're expecting that sort of gear shift from Jesus from this moment, for that revelation moment to be when he stops his work amongst the needy, for example, and he expects now to be treated like the glorious glowing leader, no. And this passage brings him, his followers, and us as we read along right back down to earth. And it reconfirms for us if we needed to know that Jesus wants to be actively serving those who need him. And he wants us to be actively serving those who need him with his power and authority. Jesus' path to glorious victory over sin and death is not going to be the stomping into the palace and kicking out the army route that folk were expecting, as we saw before the transfiguration, and it'll come up in today's passage as well. Jesus' path to victory is going to be the painful, humiliating death that leads us to victory over sin. Our message this morning has a bit of a digression, which I'll start with, and then two main points, if you'll allow me. Jesus has the power and authority and has given that power and authority to his followers, is my first point. And he looks for faith in his followers to do the stuff of the kingdom that he sent us for. Jesus has the power and authority and has given that power and authority to us. And he looks for faith in his followers to do the stuff of the kingdom. And my friend Jenny, there you are, is going to come and read our passage for us today. 
This is the NIV translation, and um, great, it'll appear on the screen. Thank you, my friend. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and per perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen, carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The, man, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so, they, that, so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. If you have that open, please keep it in front of you, as I say. So my two main points for us. Jesus has the power and authority and has given that power and authority to his followers. And he looks for faith in his followers to do the stuff of the kingdom of God. But I said there would be a digression. Before I unpack this any further, I want to spend a few minutes calling out the spiritual elephant in the passage, from the Western post-enlightenment point of view anyway, which is the subject of the demonic. I shared briefly on this a few minutes, uh, a few talks ago, rather, um, as part of another talk, so I don't want to repeat myself too much, but uh, to many of us, including many Christians, when we come across a Bible passage like this, it's a bit awkward. We don't really know what to do with it. For some of us, including some Christians, the idea of believing in demons is ridiculous. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, wrote, and I wonder if, oh, thank you, this tech team are doing brilliant work this morning. C.S. Lewis wrote this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, he means humanity, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I'm convinced that demons exist and are active in the world. I just want to be straight about that. Um, I've been in situations where the demonic has been clearly and evidently at work, and where Jesus' authority over the demonic has been clearly demonstrated. More important than my experience, the Bible teaches that demons are real and active, and also that Jesus is stronger than them and has the final victory. And more importantly, again, if you like, if that can be something more important than that, is that in the Bible we read that Jesus believed that demons existed and were real and were active in oppressing people. I believe that if that wasn't the case, then Jesus, Jesus was more than capable of saying, no, 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 guys, you've misunderstood. This, this isn't a spiritual thing. He's just ill. We, we should pray for healing. Of course he could. The fact that Jesus engaged with delivered people of demonic oppression and they got better tells me that we need to take this seriously. And Jesus' healings did include uh, healings of a non-supernatural medical nature as well as deliverance from evil spirits' oppression. Both. 
And, well, actually, I'll pause there. Ah, but Jim, someone could say. Those situations are from 2,000 years ago. They didn't know any better. Uh, those poor souls, ignorant people from the past, you know? Um, two thoughts in response to that. The first is, actually, I trust Jesus. I think that what Jesus says has some weight. Uh, and it also happens that my own experience backs that up, but, you know, in that order, most definitely. And secondly, again, C.S. Lewis, I think, put this quite well when he talked about something called chronological snobbery. Ever heard that before? Give me a nod if you've heard it before. That's a lovely phrase, chronological snobbery. It sounds great. Chronological snobbery is the idea that we think that we're so much smarter than everyone came before us because we've got the microwave, don't you know? <laughs> That's right, those poor souls before the microwave, oh, they, they just thought everything was <laughs> spiritual and weird because they didn't know, bless them. Chronological snobbery. How arrogant and foolish we are. Sure, we've had some advances in medical science, Completely, but to think that people had no idea what humanity was like, I, anyway. For what it's worth, uh, the Bible does not, as some lazily assume, call all seizures or mental illnesses demonic oppression. Matthew 4 verse 24 tells us that uh, Jesus went through Galilee, uh, teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming good news of the kingdom. Oh, sorry, I'm reading 23 as well here. Uh, proclaiming good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And verse 24, uh, people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed. They're listed as separate things here. And Jesus healed them. Oppression by demons is one amongst many things that Jesus healed. It wasn't the go-to explanation whenever someone had an illness that they didn't understand. The one issue I have with that verse, though, verse 24, is the translation of demon-possessed, demon possession. The Greek word, I think, is better translated demonized, because to be oppressed by a demon doesn't necessarily mean a person is fully possessed by them, but hey, if you're interested in the distinction between that, come and talk to me. Um, also at pub church, that's a fun chat. So for now, if demons are real and active in the world, what are we to do? Let's get practical. Firstly, and most importantly, be as close to Jesus as possible. None of us have the power and authority in our own right to get rid of a demon. Only the power of God can. So our best plan is to be filled with God's presence, to be in regular strong habits of prayer, spending time with him, getting to know his voice, getting to know his voice through his word in the Bible, well enough to be able to spot a counterfeit, whether that's our own internal thought or whether it is the whispering of the enemy, and well enough to hear when Jesus says to you when you're praying for someone, mm, this problem's spiritual, pray now. Second practical thought, uh, in Jesus' encounters with the demonic, we see the value that he places on healing and protection of the oppressed individual. Jesus treats the person with dignity and love. He doesn't go in, sleeves rolled up, as an opportunity for a fight with the enemy. So if we ever encounter something that we think, mm, okay, this needs spiritual prayer at this moment rather than a medical healing or something like that, can I encourage us, let's not think, come on then! But instead, okay, this person needs to be released. 
This person needs healing. This person needs to know God's love. For this reason, I prefer the language of deliverance ministry rather than exorcism. Just a language thing, but exorcism focuses on the thing being exercised, kicked out, whereas deliverance focuses on the individual being delivered, God restoring them to health and dignity. I don't intend this morning's talk to be training, by the way. If you do want to talk to me further about it, I welcome that. I just want to give you a couple of reflections, seen as the topic has come up. And uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you sense the Holy Spirit saying, this problem is demonic, um, I suggest you go about praying for that person uh, with great reverence for God's glory, with great invitation of his presence and power, and humility before the Lord, uh, and with great love and dignity and respect for the person who you are praying for. We have a five-step prayer model in this church that uh, our home groups teach. If you're in a home group and they haven't taught you that, um, go to your home group leader and say, I'd love to review the five-step prayer model. And if you find yourself praying for someone and you sense there might be a spiritual problem that needs to be resolved, rather than going in gung-ho, all guns blazing, can I suggest a prayer, quite a humble prayer along the lines of, hmm, Lord, would you please bring whatever healing to my friend Bobby that he needs? And would you bring protection from the attacks of the enemy? And Lord, if there's anything from the enemy that needs to be sorted out, in Jesus' name, would you sort it out and protect him? Kind of a just-in-case prayer. Does that make sense? I want that prayer, frankly. Uh, I think that's a good prayer to pray. There's no need for dramatics. There's no need for shouting at anything. This is it's not how it works. That's just movies. And the better you are at knowing God's voice, following God's Holy Spirit lead, the better equipped we'll be when we find ourselves in a situation like that. I hope that little aside is helpful. Like I say, come and talk to me if you want any more information, um, and we'll have a wee chat. Uh, why don't we return to our main passage for this morning? My two points. Jesus has the power and authority and has given that power and authority to his followers. And he looks for faith in his followers to do the stuff of the kingdom. So here they are in verse 37. Jesus and Peter and John and James are coming down the mountain, having witnessed the most stunning and life-changing confirmation of who Jesus really is, and then finding themselves thrown right back into the chaos and the needs of real life. We find the situation of a man in desperate need. He's crying out in verse 38 and begging Jesus for help Look at my son. That look at uh, in the, the Greek language has a kind of sense of look on him with favor. Um, it's kind of closer when people say, I feel seen by this. It's that sort of see or look at. Like, look at my son. See him. I beg you. He's my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It doesn't leave easily, and it's shattering or crushing him. That's what the word for destroying here has those connotations of. Now this story appears in um, Luke's gospel, of course, as we're reading this morning, but also appears in Matthew and Mark's gospels, and they have uh, a couple of, kind of other bits that they thought were important to record. So if you like a cheat sheet, we can have a look at both and, and compare alongside, shall we? In Mark's gospel's uh, account of this encounter, Mark includes the father adding, verse 22, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. This is a harrowing situation. 
And though some of the symptoms that this boy is suffering from look a lot like what we would call epilepsy, Jesus has healed that as a medical complaint elsewhere in the Gospels without it being a supernatural problem. Jesus and this boy's father and the disciples clearly see demonic activity in this case and go about healing the boy through deliverance prayer. Or they try to. Kind of the whole point of this story is that the disciples haven't managed to succeed with it. Verse 40 of our uh, Luke chapter 9, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. So heartbreak after heartbreak, this desperate father has brought his son for healing to the famous teacher and his assistants, and they have been, well, actually, they they were successful before. We read in Luke 9, verse 6, Jesus' 12 disciples set out, went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So it's not like the disciples are incompetent. But the disciples couldn't do what the father had begged them to do in this case. So, Jesus comes and discovers this scene. What do we expect him to say? I'd expect something like, oh my, dear me, I'm so sorry about this. Let me see, and of course I'll, I'll heal him, of course. God loves you, and he wants better for you than this. That's what I picture Jesus saying. I mean, he, he does say, bring the son here, but before that, Jesus lets out what looks like an uncharacteristic vent. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long am I going to stay with you and put up with you? Bring the son to me. I mean, ouch, Jesus. Right? Where's nice Dr. Jesus gone? Bring back the friendly healing guy. And is he saying that to the father of this poor boy? Does that seem fair or kind? I think these words are mostly directed at the disciples, actually. I think his exasperation is with those who should know better. It's not that he's frustrated in in general terms. It's, come on, guys. And if these words are directed at the disciples, dare I say it, I think that means we, his followers, need to pay very close attention to what Jesus is saying. It's probably for us too. And he loves these disciples, remember? I'm certain of it. And he loves us. I'm certain of that too. So I hear Jesus' words here with the exasperation of one who wants better for us and who can expect better than the disciples are currently offering and perhaps than some of us are offering. I take a look at myself in that. So Jesus has trained these disciples. He's shown them how to bring God's presence into a situation, how to bring God's kingdom, to declare it and to demonstrate it by power, and how to bring healing and deliverance to those who need it. Like I say, more than just teaching, he's been, well, let's see, Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, Jesus has given them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. This is back at the beginning of chapter 9. This wasn't just, go and do it and here's a training. It was a, go and do it, here's a training. Here is God's power for a mission. That's pretty good, right? Here is God's authority for a mission. Power and authority. Obviously, hope it's obvious, Jesus has the authority of God to heal sicknesses and drive out demons. We've seen that throughout Luke's gospel so far. And here we see that Jesus has given God's power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases 
to the disciples as part of their mission. That authority continues to be given to us when we are doing Jesus' work under his leadership and authority and when he's with us. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Some of you all know these famous verses, the Great Commission, some call it. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, so the authority is with Jesus. Therefore, go. Why is he saying, I've got authority, off you pop? Unless, of course, they go together. I've got authority, therefore I want you to go to make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I command you. Thank you. And surely I am with you always. That's why I have the authority. Go and do a thing, I will be with you. Therefore, the authority of God will be with you in my presence. You following? That makes sense? Great. So the authority goes with God's followers when we're going where he sent us, doing the thing he sent us to do. That's authority. What about power? God's power. That would be nice. When we've been filled with God's Holy Spirit, which is God's presence, his power comes with it. When Jesus promised Pentecost, that first filling of his disciples with the Holy Spirit, he said in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit filling you up is us receiving God's power. And just in case we think, oh, maybe that was just for them and not for us, later on in verse 39 of Acts chapter 2, Peter confirms for us, great, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Great news, that's us. So, God's power, the promise, God's filling with the Holy Spirit that brings the power, that's for you and me. I know we're dancing around a little bit, but we'll settle in just a moment. That makes sense? We're right? Okay, good. I'm getting half nods and half help. <laughs> so much Bible. <laughs> Told you to keep the passage. Okay. I think that because this promise has been for us, that if we are with Jesus, in Jesus, and doing what he wants us to do, bringing in his kingdom, then the power and authority that Jesus has to bring the kingdom of God through healings, deliverances, miracles, is available for, intended for, you and I. That's kind of the point. And because it's for us, I think these verses in Mark 16, uh, 17 and 18, are for us too. These, this is Jesus' words, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up snakes with their hands. I haven't tried that one, I don't really fancy it. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people and they will get well. These signs will accompany those who believe. That's what Jesus expects from people who are his followers. If we're operating under his authority and under his power, these signs will accompany those who believe. So, that was the first half of my two points. Jesus has the power and authority and has given that power and authority to us, his followers. So now for the second half. He looks for faith in his followers to do the stuff of the kingdom. 
Which is why I think he was so exasperated with these disciples. In that moment in Luke chapter 9, verse 41, in our passage today, you unbelieving and perverse generation, it's not a problem of power or authority that they're experiencing. They've been given it. They've got power, they've got authority, but Jesus seems to be pointing out a lack of faith that seems to be the main problem in their operating. I think perverse, by the way, is a bad translation to us. It has all sorts of baggage uh, in our culture. Uh, If you go back to the word in the Greek and try and look for alternatives, misled, distorted, corrupted are all things. Kind of the idea of there's a path and you've somehow come off it. That's what that word means. Um, I think corrupted is a helpful way of looking at this word. Unbelieving and corrupted. I mean, I can relate to that, right? Maybe you're all much holier than me, but uh, when I come to pray for someone for healing, I believe that Jesus has the power and authority, and, and I believe that he's given that to us to use, probably to me, probably to me. You know, he's probably given me power and authority for this moment of healing, and, and I believe he can heal the person that I'm praying for. I'm not always full of faith that he's going to, then and there. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, the Lord could heal this broken knee. He might use someone else later. No, my prayer may or may not land just now. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're all much holier than I am. But I have to, uh, have to get over that internal... Ugh. Maybe I'm too safe. Maybe, maybe the comforts of this world have meant that my prayers aren't desperate enough. I don't know. Like, oh, yeah, the Lord could heal your knee, but have you heard of paracetamol? Like I say, you're probably all holier than I am and um, have fantastic faith. I, I want to see Jesus healing miraculously, though, and I have, actually. I've seen him do it, which means that he's probably got even more reason to say, are you sure, Jim? We need to have a chat about your faith. I've seen it. It's been amazing, and I want to see more. I want to see people set free. I want to be a believing and uncorrupted follower of Jesus, doing the work he clearly wants us to be doing and seeing glorious results. I want to be serving people with Jesus' power, Jesus' authority, and a faith that he will do the stuff when we ask him to. Jesus didn't have any trouble with deliverance for this poor boy. Uh, Luke 9, 42 and 43 from our passage, Jesus rebukes the impure spirit, he heals the boy, and gives him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. So why couldn't the disciples? Why couldn't they? They'd they'd done it before. Why couldn't they do it now? And um, they wanted to know why too. In verse 41, uh, we read it was the disciples' unbelief that Jesus seems frustrated by. But because, as I said before, Matthew and Mark also record this event uh, with their kind of focuses, I went and saw the conversation that they thought we should read as well. In Matthew's version... Uh, the disciples, let's see if that can uh, pop up. This is Matthew 17, 19 and 20. Do I shall read it to you. The disciples come to Jesus in private and they ask, why couldn't we drive the demon out? And his answer, Matthew 17, verse 20, is because you have so little faith. So little faith is, um, this is a, a word actually, it's all one word in Greek and it appears only six times in the New Testament and uh, it's a it's kind of actually faith-lack or doubt. We just call it doubtful for ease. This is not you have not enough in the tank. 
It's not like your petrol tank's only at a quarter. This is the opposite of faith. And the other times that this pops up, this is Jesus saying, oh, you of little faith. And he's kind of saying it nicely and gently, but he's saying, oh, you little doubter. Come here. But you little doubter. So there's a sense of the doubtful one here. Or he said, it's because you're so doubtful. It's oligopistis, if you like Greek. But ouch, though. Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you're really doubtful. So in our passage in Luke, the problem was unbelief. In Matthew's record, it's doubtful. Okay, well, that that agrees, that tracks. What about in Mark? In Mark 9.29, he records, after Jesus has gone indoors, the disciples said to him, why couldn't we drive it out? And he says, this kind can only come out by prayer. And some uh, original manuscripts say prayer and fasting. So we have unbelief, doubtful, and this need for more prayer. If you, if you like Greek geeking like I do and uh, want to do a search for faith in the Gospels, you'll spot a pattern. Actually, you could do this in English. Just search faith in the Gospels. Every time Jesus comes across someone with faith, he loves it, absolutely delights. This centurion has more faith than all of my people. Look at this guy. Or a woman who goes up and, and tugs the back of his garment. He's, Have you seen how much this woman believed that God was going to meet her and heal her? Everyone stop everything you're doing. This person's faith is amazing. Every time he comes across faith, faith, he stops it and celebrates it, kind of almost to the point of, this is so important, guys. He even even almost emphasizes it to the point that someone's trust in God was crucial to the miracle. Now, could God do whatever he wants to? Obviously. Obviously. Does Jesus point out that faith is really important to how his power is being used? Yes. I reckon that's why he was so exasperated with his team, acting with unbelief or doubtfully. Like, guys, come on, you're my, you're my crew. We, we did the things, and then I sent you off with my power, and you did the things. Guys, where was your faith? I reckon it was quite painful for him, actually. I suspect my doubt probably is a bit painful as well. I don't mean to hit you over the head for that, but uh, I want to I have more faith. So how can we? Um, handily, I did a <laughs> nervously last night. How do we get more faith, Bible? Um, <laughs> um, There's these pills you can buy. No. Um, (laughs) Luke 17, verse 5, the disciples asked him. I was like, yes, come on. And they said to him, uh, Lord, (laughs) increase our faith. I'm adding the desperation I believe they had when they asked him. And Jesus replied, if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, do not go out buying mustard seeds now. That's not what he's saying. If If you have a grain, a speck of faith, then you can say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and go and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Okay, thanks, Jesus. Uh, Just need to apply that. It's as if the disciples say, we want to believe more, and Jesus says, that's not the problem. Or at least, you only need the tiniest speck. Now, that might seem familiar. Some of you may be thinking, oh, isn't that verse about a mountain? You're right. Matthew 17, verse 20 
Jesus says in another part, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, he, he liked mustard seeds for this illustration, I don't know, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Did you know that that verse about faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains is from this story? In Matthew's Gospel's account of Jesus' encounter with this father and this boy in real need, verse 19, uh, the disciples come to Jesus in private and ask, why couldn't we drive it out? And it's then, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, because you are doubtful. Because you're so doubtful, you focused on the negative. You focused on the, I don't think Jesus could. Or rather, I don't think he would use me. But if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, so you shift to, do you know what? I reckon he could. It's, a, it's not much of a reckon, but I reckon he could. Then a grain of faith is enough for God to step in and use it. I think Jesus wanted the disciples to switch from a doubt footing to a faith footing. It's kind of like saying, guys, you don't need much. Just begin to trust and take a step, and we'll go from there. So as I'm wrapping up, I have a couple of practical reflections that I think he wants to invite us to the same, to help us choose a faith footing. So here's a couple of practical tips. Firstly, get to know him better. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, go to a Christian and ask what to do, and they say, read your Bible and pray. Guess what? More time spent with Jesus, reading his word, listening to his voice, getting to know what he sounds like, and time spent asking faithful people around us for stories of God at work in their lives. Time spent in loving worship of God. It's about intimacy and connection with him and dependence on him. Time spent face down before him in heaven's throne room, if you like, giving a glory and delighting in God. Those things will help us to get to know the faithworthy one and help us to know whose power and authority we're working in and what he's like. And I think when we know how God feels about healing people, not just in theory, but in our guts, if you like, that will give us at least a mustard seed's worth of trust to be able to give it a go. So get to know him better. And then my second practical tip is give it a go. We, uh, those of us who went to the Scottish Leadership Conference a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a, a chap called Jordan Seng who gave a really good talk Faith is spelt T-R-Y. Give listening to the Lord for a prophetic word a try. Give it a go. Lord, have you got something to encourage my friend here? And then give sharing that word with them a try. And if you see them go, wow, how did you know? Then what does that do for your faith in God? I reckon it goes, sound effects optional. I mean, I know it gets me excited, when I see God's given me a word and we share it and we see someone respond and go, oh yeah, he, yeah, he does care and do that stuff. He just even does it through little old me, little old us. So what about giving healing someone a go? Okay, I'm going to choose to believe you can do this. Come on then, Lord, let's go for it. And a focus on Jesus can rather than Jim's a bit rubbish. I'm speaking, you can believe that if you like, I'm talking about my own heart. What an amazing story it would be to tell, to tell to anyone who would listen if we saw someone dramatically physically healed. Wouldn't that be the rest of your Sunday? Do you know what happened this morning? What if you did tell a mountain to move and it went into the sea? 
I think Jesus was probably using hyperbole on that one, but the point he was making was, the stuff you think is so impossible it could never be done, that's the level that we're talking about. Even with the tiniest grain of, go on then, Lord, let's give this a bash. God can use it. So get to know him and give trusting him a go. And who knows, maybe God will use you for a healing so wonderful that people around us will be amazed at the greatness of God. Verse 43. I think for time, we'll leave it there. There's so much more in this passage I'd have loved to have opened up, um, but uh, I'm not going to press on your grace anymore. I think what the Lord wanted to encourage us this morning and even challenge us with was this. Jesus has the power and authority and has given power and authority to his followers. And what he looks for is faith in his followers to do the stuff of the kingdom that brings in God's kingdom. Why don't we take our grain of faith and see what he wants to do with it? If you're able to, why don't you stand with me and uh, we'll pray. Oh, thanks, man. We'll take a moment or two to um, just invite the Lord to speak to us, see what he wants to say. Lord Jesus, we are just really grateful and, and honestly a wee bit baffled that you would choose to use us. That you wouldn't just turn up and do the amazing stuff yourself, but that you want to partner with us. So thank you. And um, Lord, would you fill us afresh? Would you come, Holy Spirit? Thank you that you're with us, uh, that you're moving around the room already. But I ask for an increase. And I ask for, if there's stuff going on in each individual's hearts, there's a, Lord, a desire for more of you, for more of your presence and power and leading, um, for you doing the stuff of bringing in your kingdom in us and through us, then... Lord, would you meet that desire? I think this morning there's some of us who, um, who recognize there's stuff we need to get right with God. Um, there's stuff that's been an obstacle in our relationship with him. Uh, I'm not... I'm very wary here of, of wanting to imply any guilt like it's all your fault. There's, you know, you'd be doing wonderful miracles if you weren't such an awful sinner. That's not the message, okay? 
But I think there are some of us who, who have a thing that we need to get right with God about. Or just take the opportunity to say, Lord, I want to be right with you. Separately, I think there are some of us who would love to be um, doing more amazing kingdom of God stuff. And um, I think he's up for that. And there might be some amongst us who have a need for healing, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical. So in just a moment, if any of those things apply to you, I'm going to invite you to come and step in this space just here. Um, at the front of the church and someone who is in a home group in this church and is accountable and has been trained to pray lovingly and respectfully will come and, and say, hello, can I pray for you and explain, um, uh, ask if you want to tell them what you want prayer for. Um, you can tell them as much or as little as you like. And then we'll just ask Jesus to meet with you and see what happens. So Lord, more of you please we pray. <laughs>